Hi there, this is Edwin Crozier with the Franklin Church of Christ. Thank you for joining us as we open God's Word and learn how to serve and glorify Him. In this lesson that you're about to hear, we conclude our look throughout the year of 2005 at the Jerusalem Church. When we look back at the Jerusalem Church, we've seen the keys to success that they followed, unity, worship, aggressive evangelism, and other keys. But we can't help but look back and think they had advantages that we don't have. That's true. This lesson takes a look at those advantages and what we must do to be able to claim those advantages for us today. Open your Bibles and join with me as we take a look at that Jerusalem church and ask the question, what made it work in Jerusalem? For just a few moments as we get started this morning, I want to ask you to imagine with me the average American conservative Church of Christ. It's imaginary because I'm not going to be talking about any particular congregation of which I am aware. However, when we're done, I think you're going to find that it probably looks a lot like a lot of congregations that you know about. This congregation began about 50 to 60 years ago in any town USA. And they wanted to start a new work there, so a handful of Christians started meeting in a storefront or in somebody's home, and they called it the Anytown Church of Christ. And they had some great growth during the 50s and the 60s. But of course, during the 60s, they went through a split over the institutional issues. Following that time... They had some growth again during the 70s, and at the end of the 70s, there was a group of people that said, you know, we need to start the east side Anytown Church, and on the other side of town, and so they started a congregation over there. And then they grew some more. In the 80s, they built a new building, and they appointed four elders, but since that time, two of them have died, and one of them's moved, and so they only have one man, the congregation agrees is qualified, and they don't have elders. They had some growth during the 80s and the 90s, but they got up to around 100, and that's about where they've leveled off and they plateaued. And they'll, they'll have times where they get up to about 125, and that's times where they drop down to about 75, but they hang right around that 100 mark, sometimes baptizing and sometimes not, sometimes losing. About the only thing that's changed over the past 30 years is that they've had a new preacher every three to five years, and he's been there for about two years now. Does that sound like any congregation that you've ever heard of? I don't think we could probably say that's about, about the average. The Anytown Church has taken a look at their own growth patterns and have seen that basically over the past 20 years they've been pretty stagnant. And so in order to overcome that, in order to strive to push for growth and to bring more people into the body of Christ, they've taken a look at the Jerusalem Church as we can find in the book of Acts. And just as we have noticed this year, as we've taken a look at the Jerusalem church, they found out that that congregation grew because it was devoted to worship, it was devoted to unity, it was devoted to aggressive evangelism, it was devoted to leadership development and personal spiritual development, it was devoted to closer relationships, it aggressively dealt with problems. They've learned all of those things. But as they have looked at the Jerusalem church, they've recognized that the Jerusalem church had some advantages that we don't often have today. And they wanted to take a look at that, and they've just asked the question, well, what made it work in Jerusalem? And as they considered it, 
They didn't take the easy way out. They didn't say, oh, it's because the Holy Spirit was working miraculously. They had the apostles and they had those miraculous gifts. That's what made it better. Because they recognized, as we recognize, that the Holy Spirit had provided us with the Scripture and everything that the Holy Spirit was providing through those miraculous gifts, He has provided to us in Scripture. So that wasn't the advantage. But there were some things that made it easier for them and they started listing those and they came up with basically three things that made it easier for them than we have it today. And we want to take a look at those three things. But before we do that, I want to explain to you why I've set it up this way. Why are we talking about the Anytown Church and not the Franklin Church? Well, the reason is because we are here at Franklin, we are not the Anytown Church. We're not the average American conservative church of Christ. But on the other hand, I don't think we would say that we're exactly the Jerusalem church either. We're somewhere in between those two. But as I look out in the future, we've got a new year coming up in just a few weeks. And we've taken some steps over the past couple of years to lay some foundation work. As I look out in our future, I think I see that we, we're going to be going in one of two ways. We are either going to continue progressing and start growing and start the evangelism and become the Jerusalem church, or we're going to back off and just be the average American church that kind of hangs out around 75 to 100 people, baptizing sometimes and not doing much, and we'll just become the average any-town church. And therefore, I want us to contrast these two possibilities that lay in our future to see which one we want to be and what it's going to take for us to be the one we want. And so we ask the question, what made it work in Jerusalem? Before we look at the three things, would you bow with me in prayer, please? Almighty God and Father in heaven, we are amazed at your mercy and grace. We are in awe because you've sent your Son to die for us. We really can't fathom why you've loved us that much, Father, but we're thankful. And we pray that you would strengthen us to submit to your Son, Jesus, accepting his forgiveness and his grace and taking that message and spreading it to the community so that others can experience your love as well. Father, we're thankful for the church that meets here, that's been been here in Franklin for years. And Father, we're thankful for those faithful Christians who have continued on and continued to spread your gospel so that others could be added into your body. And we pray that you would be with us, that you would bless us here. Be with our elders. Help them as leaders and shepherds of this congregation to seek out those who have fallen and those who are broken and to bind up the broken and heal the sick and to find the lost. And pray that you would strengthen them to lead us into the future, that we can be like your church that was at Jerusalem, that we can grow and continue to spread your gospel. Pray that you be with our deacons as they serve in this congregation, that they will be selfless, that they'll be servants, that they'll further the work that is done here. And Father, we pray that you be with the rest of us as members of this congregation, that we will all do what we can to be a part of your kingdom, to be a working and active part, to spread your gospel and help others become your children and receive forgiveness. Father, we're thankful and we love you and we pray that you would forgive us for those times when we've fallen short of your will, when we've turned from your word, when we haven't spread your gospel when we've kept it huddled up here in our worship, we pray that you would help us to get it out to others and to strengthen. Uh, we pray that you would strengthen us, that we might have the boldness to spread your gospel and the compassion to let others know about salvation that comes only from your Son. In His name we pray. Amen. As we ask this question, what made it work in Jerusalem? We take a look first at the Anytown Church. 
The Indianotown Church, you see, has been there around for 50 or 60 years. And things haven't changed in the Anytown Church for about 30 years. In fact, most of the members of the Anytown Church of Christ were either brought up within the church, as we say, or they were baptized and converted back in the 70s and 80s. There are a few that have been baptized since then, but basically uh, that's, that's just kind of the makeup of the Anytown Church. They've been there for a while. Everybody knows all the major Bible stories. When the preacher's preaching, he can rarely say anything that's going to surprise anybody because we've all heard the sermons on those passages. We all know the sermons on authority. We all know the sermons on the plan of salvation. We all know those stories about David and Goliath and Daniel and the lions and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And so, when the preacher's preaching and the Bible class is going on, there are very few surprises. Now, every once in a while, the preacher or the Bible class teacher might say something that produces one of those aha moments and it stirs the embers a little bit. But basically, for the Anytown Church, things have just been going on about the way they've always been going on for about 30 years. And everybody just keeps on going through their routine. And they're coming to worship on Sundays and going to Bible class. But things are pretty well just progressing the way they've always progressed. And, and there's not a whole lot of life because really there's just not anything extraordinary going on. They have two gospel meetings a year, vacation Bible school, fifth Sunday singings. And that's just... Life is normal. Nobody's very excited. Let's take a look at Jerusalem. And we find in Jerusalem that that's not the way it was. In Jerusalem, things were new. It was exciting. In fact, what advantage did they have? They had the widespread enthusiasm of something new. We take a look at the apostles. Even as the apostles were preaching, for them, even their message sometimes was new because as Mark 13 and verse 11 says, sometimes they were going to be speaking and it was going to be the Holy Spirit speaking through them, inspiring them, and they didn't know what was coming. The Holy Spirit was going to be giving them the message at the time that they needed it at that time. So sometimes it was even new as it was coming out of their mouths. Can you imagine how exciting that would be? Can you imagine how exciting it would be to get together with a new group of people uh, learning new things all the time? You see, those folks in Jerusalem, they had the widespread enthusiasm of something new because they were dealing with an old problem. And they had learned a new solution. They were dealing with the old problem of sin and they had all dealt with it. There in Jerusalem, as they dealt with sin, every year they went to Jerusalem and they sacrificed and they sacrificed and they sacrificed and all of a sudden they found out, I don't have to sacrifice anymore. God provided that sacrifice. What an amazing and exciting message that must have been for those Jews there in Jerusalem. And they wanted everybody to know. And so in Acts chapter 2, in Acts chapter 2, as this message was being taught on the day of Pentecost, about 3,000 people became excited about that new message. And they were added to the body. And they were so excited about it, they were wanting to tell everybody about it. And so in Acts chapter 2 and verse 47, it says they were praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Let's face it. They had a lot to be excited about because it was new. It was novel. It was an old hat. But now here's the question for us. Which one of these two are we more like? Are we more like the Anytown Church? Or are we more like the Jerusalem Church? What if everybody in the congregation were just like you? 
which one would we be more like? Let's face it. We've, we've heard the gospel message for years. We hear the invitation of the Lord three times a week. That's old news that Jesus died for our sins. It's not extraordinary to us anymore that we can come into the presence of God and bow before Him and worship and praise and sing and glorify Him and that His Son by His death will take our sins away by His grace. That's not extraordinary. That's the norm for us now, isn't it? We're used to that. We've got to learn to have the passion that Jerusalem had. It was a little bit easier for them because it really was new. They could see it as extraordinary because it really was novel. We have to realize that even though it is not new anymore, it is still just as extraordinary as it was for them. Look in Revelation chapter 2. In Revelation chapter 2, beginning at verse 1, the angel of the church, to the angel of the church in Ephesus write, The one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, says this, I know your deeds and your toil and perseverance, and that you cannot tolerate evil men, and you put to the test those who call themselves apostles, and they're not, and you found them to be false. And you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake and have not grown weary. That all sounds really good. They're standing up for the truth. They're not going to allow any doctrinal or, doctrinal or moral impurities. They're going to test those who claim to be teachers. And, and if they're, they're not teaching the truth, they're going to put them out. But I have this against you, he says in Revelation 2.4, that you have left your first love. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first, or else I'm coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. Do you remember what it was like when you first heard that you could be saved? That despite the wickedness you had committed, that you could be baptized, that somebody could take you and just dunk you under the water, and you'd come up and you'd be cleansed in the name of Jesus Christ. How amazing was that? How many others did you want to know about that? It was extraordinary, wasn't it? Ephesus had that at once, but they had lost their first love. They still went through the motions. They still maintained the purity. They still weren't going to let error to be taught, but they had lost that first love. And that's what's happened to the Anytown Church. We have got to realize that what we are involved in right now is extraordinary. We are in the presence of God. Among His children worshiping and honoring Him. His gospel message is being taught. People are being taken off the road to hell and placed upon the road to heaven. Is there anything more extraordinary than that? We could get a band. We could have plays. We could have worship teams. We could do all that stuff to try to make it special. And is there anything that could really make it more extraordinary than just what God has done for us and told, tells us right here? We've got to have that if we're going to be the Jerusalem church. That passion, that excitement. 
the realization that this is extraordinary, even if it's not new. But that's not the only advantage they had. The second advantage, we take again a look at the Anytown Church, and we recognize that the Anytown Church has basically done things the same way for 30 or 40 years. About the only thing that's changed over the past 30 or 40 years with the Anytown Church is the guy preaching the sermons, because about every three to five years we get a new one of those. But other than that, it's been pretty much the same. We have three, they have, uh, the Anytown Church has three or four songs right before the sermon. They have the Lord's Supper and the contribution before the sermon. They offer an invitation after the sermon. They, and then they have these announcements. And they have two gospel meetings a year and a vacation Bible school, fifth Sunday singing. It's just basically been the same for 30 years. There was, of course, the one time that a new preacher came in and wanted to preach a sermon on the Lord's Supper. And so he asked that it be moved to the end of the sermon. But everybody complained so much about it that the elders said, we're not ever doing that again. Anytown Church has now taken, they, they're doing some scriptural things, and they've developed scriptural traditions in order to accomplish the work and worship of God, but they've almost turned those into unspoken and unwritten laws on equal playing field with the Bible. Consider, for instance, what's happened in just the past few weeks at the Anytown Church. This new preacher over the past two years, uh, since the 70s, it's been the preacher's job to look at people needing benevolent help. And when they had elders, the preacher's job was to look into it and then make a recommendation to the elders for their final approval. Now that the elders are gone, he makes that recommendation to the men's business meeting for final approval. But over the past few years, this new preacher, they've seen a little bit of growth. And some of those that have have come in are needing more help. And it's just basically, it's just gotten to be too much work for him. It's, It's cutting into his time to be able to study and to be able to prepare his lessons and prepare for the Bible class and go out and teach new people. And so he's come to the men's business meeting just absolutely sure that they'll understand that his job as evangelist is more to get out there and be teaching folks and bringing new folks in, and he really needs somebody else to take over this work of reviewing folks that have benevolent needs. That sounds like a great request, don't you think? But after some of the phone calls he's received over the past two weeks, he wished he had just never said anything. As soon as the meeting was over, he got home that night, and uh, there was a message from one of the brethren who said, you know, I'm just not sure that it's scriptural for an ordinary member of the church to find out about people's financial matters. The next day he received a call from another brother who said, you know, the church I came from, the elders used to always handle that. If you don't want to do this anymore, then you need to hurry up and get some elders appointed. And then there was the call just a couple days ago from one sister who was just absolutely irate that she could not believe what her husband had told her when he got home from that business meeting. And she pointed out to him that, look, I can't believe we have a preacher who is so lazy and uncompassionate that he won't be there for people when they need him. You know, our last preacher was always there. Maybe you're not the guy we need here. Those are the kind of things that happen in any town church because we've got our rules for the way work happens and we must never change them. That's not the way it was in Jerusalem. Jerusalem, one of the advantages that Jerusalem had is they had freedom from traditional approaches to worship and work. Again, everything was new. They didn't have any traditions. They'd only been doing it for a couple of months. They hadn't established the rule for how all this work had to be done. Look in Acts chapter 6. Look in Acts chapter 6. What an amazing chapter. We've actually talked about that as we've looked at Jerusalem before, so I know this is not going to be surprising. It's probably old hat to you now, but look at it again in Acts chapter 6. In Acts chapter 6 and verse 1, Now at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. So the twelve summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, 
It's not desirable for us to neglect the Word of God in order to serve tables. Therefore, brethren, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. But we'll devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. The statement found approval with the whole congregation, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. And these they brought before the apostles, and after praying, they laid their hands on them. Notice what happened here. They had been doing the work in a certain way, and it wasn't working anymore. The congregation had grown, and it's just like that story we were just telling about the Anytown Church. It all had to do with benevolent means, and, and, and it just it wasn't getting accomplished anymore. And so the apostles provided another scriptural solution. Now, if something like this happened today, I imagine there would be an uproar. First of all, we'd be mad at the elders who are saying, we don't have time to deal with widows. And then we'd be upset that other people might be just picked out of the congregation to deal with these issues instead of the elders. After all, you are the elders. You're supposed to be doing everything. At least they weren't going to the preachers. Well, actually, I guess the apostles were the preachers, weren't they? But you notice what happened here? They weren't fixed on a mindset that says, we've done it this way for 30 years, we can't do it any other way. They were willing, within the confines of what God authorized, to change the way they worshipped and worked. And so now we have to ask the question, which one are we more like? The Anytown Church or the Jerusalem Church? If everyone was more like you, which one would we be? Jerusalem or any town? You see, one of the things that we have to be able to tell the difference between, we have to be able to tell the difference between our scriptural traditions that we've set up because at one time they were expedient and what God actually says. It's amazing how you get into churches like the Anytown Church and there are folks who will not allow a single solitary thing to change, even moving the Lord's Supper to the end of the worship assembly instead of at the beginning. Because we've never done it that way before. And they'll stand up, they'll even drive a wedge in the congregation and split it and talk bad about all those who left saying that, look, we're holding to the standard. And folks like that have the idea that they are mature Christians because they're holding to the standard, but they're immature because they don't even know what the standard is anymore. Brethren, I have no doubt there are times when folks are turning away from what God's Word says. And I hope you don't misunderstand what I'm talking about. But we do have to learn the difference between adulterating God's Word and violating His pattern and just altering the expedient traditions that we've developed over years. We've got to learn the difference between that. That's one of the things that helped Jerusalem grow. They didn't put Christ's church in this box of their own making. They just allowed it to be in God's box. His making. Thirdly, and I think perhaps this is the most important, The most important thing, in Jerusalem, people had come in, excuse me, getting ahead of myself, in any town, people are always complaining 
because we just don't spend as much time together as we used to. Oh, at any town, you can hear folks saying in the foyer all the time as they're leaving, you know, we used to get together with brother and sister so-and-so. And and you remember how sister and brother so-and-so used to have this all the time? And boy, we just used to get together all the time. And we just don't do that anymore. And everybody complains that they're not getting together anymore, but nobody's doing anything about it except complaining. Sometimes they'll offer up having a group program and and they'll make one of the deacons like Jimmy over here say, now we want, to, we want you to make everybody get together. That doesn't always work, does it, Jimmy? The husbands are working long, long hours to make ends meet. Many of the wives are working jobs to try to pay the bills. The kids are involved in all kinds of after-school activities and extracurriculars. It's tough enough to make it to the services that we have, and some of them aren't even doing that, but let alone to do anything extra and get together with others. Some of the mothers of young children, of course, have husbands that aren't even Christians, and that's, I mean, that's just an awful situation for them because their husband's not helping them at all. And so it's tough enough for them to be able to even get their kids ready for services and the classes that we have, let alone get together at the sister's house who's trying to have the young mothers over. It's hard. Everybody's wanting to get together more, but everybody's saying we don't have enough time. But in Jerusalem, that was one of the things they had. They had time spent with other Christians. If we look in Acts chapter 2, If we look in Acts chapter 2, verse 46, day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple. Well, i got to tell you, I hear a lot of people complain about us having two services on Sunday and having the Bible class on Wednesday night. For a time, they were meeting every day. That's continuing day by day in the temple with one mind. That's the congregation coming together, assembling every day. Day by day, continued one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. They were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. Not only were they assembling every day, but then they were still spending time with one another outside of the assembly. They were going to one another's homes. Now, there were 3, 000, about 3,000 people baptized that first day. So, this was not an issue of them all going over to one person's house. This was they were intermingling. They were doing it all the time. And notice what they were doing when they got together. It says they were taking their meals together with gladness. They were having some time together, just getting to know one another, social time, learning about one another. It also says they were praising God. They were worshiping God together outside of the assembly in their homes in these house-to-house groups. What an amazing thing. And no wonder if they were doing these sort of things every day, that people were also being added to the church every day. Now the question is, which one are we more like? The Anytown Church? Or the Jerusalem Church? If everybody was just like you, which one would we be more like? We've got a lot of stuff going on today, don't we? Work and school and clubs and scouts and Sports, just all kinds of things that we're involved in. 
So many things down here and I worry about that. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 2 says, set your mind on things above and not on the things that are on the earth. Can I get on my soapbox for a minute, soapbox for a minute and point out how we have brethren today that will talk about commitment to a baseball team that's going to end in three months and when the kid's my age, he's not even going to remember it. But boy, we've got to miss church because we're having practice on Sunday night. Because Dennis, it's going to kill my child if he doesn't get to play baseball. And will we be able to say that to the Lord when He asks about that? Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. And what's amazing is, obviously none of these things are wrong. These things that we're spending our time with, we're not talking about doing bad things. We're not talking about people who spend all their time bar hopping so they don't have time to get together with Christians. A lot of these things are good things. And what we don't realize is that we get cluttered up with all these good things and we lose sight of the best thing. You remember Mary and Martha? Was Martha doing a bad thing as she was busy with her hostess duties? Absolutely not. But she wasn't focused on the best thing, spending time at the feet of the Master while He was teaching Jerusalem grew because the Christians were together. And I realize that there were some special circumstances here. I understand this. But there were a whole lot of people that had traveled from all over. They'd left their homes and their jobs and they'd come into Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost and they learned about the Gospel and they'd stayed behind. And so it may be that they had, some, they had time that we don't have because of our responsibilities. More time than we could ever have. But are we using our time wisely? Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15, Be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. Make the most of your time. If you read through our book that we had in our family focus, there was a chapter that dealt with this and pointed out that despite the fact that we spend most of our time complaining about how little time we have, we actually have more discretionary time than anybody in history. We can cook a meal in under five minutes. These brethren in Jerusalem couldn't do that. We can pick up a phone and have it delivered to our house and not have to do anything but write a check. Brethren in Jerusalem couldn't do that. We can take our pile of laundry and put it in a washing machine and walk off and let it do the work for us. The brethren in Jerusalem couldn't do that. They had to take their clothes down to the river and bang it on a rock. We can go into our bathrooms and turn the hot water on. The brethren in Jerusalem couldn't do that. They had to walk down to the creek, pick a bucket up, bring it back to the house, pour it in, go do it again a couple times, then light a fire under it. I'm going to tell you what, the issue is not about how little time we have. The issue is what choices we are making with the same 24-hour days that they had back then. Did you realize that? you know how many hours there were in a day back in the Jerusalem church? 24 hours, just like today. you know how many days in the week they had? Seven, just like us. The question is not how much time we have. The question is what are our choices about our time? Are we choosing to use our time to pursue earthly wealth and material gain? To pursue recreation and entertainment? There's nothing wrong with some of those things. But is it getting in the way of what's the most important thing? 
want to read a quote to you real quick. This is from The American Paradox by David Myers. Communal socializing also appears to be on the way out. Putnam finds that Americans in 1997 were entertaining friends and acquaintances at home 40% less often than in 1975, attending club meetings nearly 60% less often, and giving half as many dinner parties. Families are also eating together less often. In 1975, 50% of married Americans agreed that our whole family usually eats dinner together. In 1997, only 34% did. When we add the increasing number of single people living by themselves, dining alone may have doubled in the past quarter century. What we're doing more of to replace this communal activity is watching TV, renting videos, and web surfing and working on our home computers. What he was pointing out is this isn't a problem with the church. This is an American problem. And sadly, the church is following it. Spending time together is just not something we do in our society anymore, but it's something we as Christians should be doing. It's what the Jerusalem church did. It's one of the things that made it easier for them to grow. So as we consider this, as we consider this, we have to ask, who are we more like? Any town or Jerusalem? everybody were just like you, who would we be more like? Any town or Jerusalem? We can be Jerusalem. But I tell you what, we're going to have to have the widespread enthusiasm. I'll get it out here in a second. Widespread enthusiasm of something as though it were new because it's extraordinary. We're going to have to have freedom from traditional approaches to worship and work. And I know I'm going to get it for that one. Time spent with other Christians. We've got to be able to do these things. Following God's Word, I've waited two years to preach this lesson because I hoped you would realize by now that I'm all about just doing it God's way. That's got to be our guiding principle. But if we're going to be Jerusalem... These are the things that make it work. I hope this look at the Jerusalem church has been beneficial to you. Let's remember what we've learned. Jerusalem did have three advantages, but they are advantages that we can have today if we will simply make them our own. The first advantage, they had the widespread enthusiasm of something new. The second advantage, they were free from traditional forms of worship and work. The third advantage, they had time to spend with one another. We can make each of these advantages our own. The first, by remembering that what we have today, though it's no longer new, is still extraordinary. The second, by being able to tell the difference between God's plan and pattern and what is merely our scripturally expedient way of accomplishing God's pattern. And third, by taking and making time to spend with our brethren. I hope this has been beneficial to you. If you have any questions about the Jerusalem Church, about Christ Church, or about the Franklin Church of Christ, please give us a call at 615-794-2359. Or you may contact us through our website, www.franklinchurchofchrist.com. Perhaps somebody has given you this on CD or tape. If so, let me encourage you to go to that website. Again, it's franklinchurchofchrist.com. 
We have numerous lessons there that you're free to download, both in audio and outline format, and use them and share them in any way that you believe will glorify and honor our God in heaven. May God richly bless you, but more importantly, may you richly bless God.